So when you see these large companies, animal agriculture focused companies shifting their focus, I was sitting in a meeting with the CEO of Maple Leaf Foods and he fully said, he's like, we are not a pork company. We're not a meat company. We are a protein company. And that shifted that just by him saying that shifts the culture and sort of the direction of where that company is going, right? Because they're listening to consumers. They're watching the science when it comes to environmental impact of animal ag. That was plant-based foods pioneer Chad Sarno speaking about one obvious sign that plant-based foods and eating have gone mainstream. Plant-based foods and eating trends, opportunities, and their future, and how you might capitalize on those, will be our focus on the next two episodes of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Well, hello, Looking Forward listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Today on Looking Forward, we're going to focus on the plant-based foods and eating trend, and it's a large and growing one. In part one of this two-part series, episode number 83, we're going to take a look at what plant-based eating is all about and how the development of plant-based foods and eating has evolved over the past few decades in the United States and in other parts of the world. We'll get a taste of which companies have become involved in this trend and we'll take a closer look at a few of those businesses. In part two, we'll take a look at how COVID has affected the plant-based foods and eating trend, what the future may have in store for this trend, and what opportunities that might offer to you, our Looking Forward listeners. To help us with all this, we've brought on another outstanding expert. He's Chad Sarno. A longtime pioneer of plant-based foods, Chad Sarno is the co-founder and chief culinary officer of Gathered Foods, makers of the disruptive plant-based seafood brand, Good Catch. Chad is also a co-founder of Wicked Healthy and the Wicked Food brands with over 100 branded products in stores in the United Kingdom and now available in the United States market nationally in Sprouts and Kroger. Chad has launched restaurants in Istanbul, Munich, London, and Belgrade served as VP of Plant-Based Education at Ruby Cooking School and was the Global Wellness Coordinator, Media Spokesperson, and R&D Chef for Whole Foods Market's focus on plant-based diets. Chad is co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Crazy Sexy Kitchen, The Wicked Healthy Cookbook, and The Whole Foods Cookbook. Well, hi, Chad. Welcome to Looking Forward. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you. This is a topic that I have a particular interest in. You've been involved in the food business for many years. I'm curious, and I think the listeners would be curious to know, when was it that you first became interested in pursuing a career in the food industry? And why do you think that was, Chad? Well, food industry is one thing. I, I, grew, I grew up in restaurants majority of my life, majority of my jobs. Um, and at a young age, I was introduced to plant-based through my own 
personal health journey. So I had really bad asthma growing up and I'm out of hospitals, struggled with asthma for many years, having asthma attacks most of my childhood, you know, not all the time, but it was, it was certainly a crutch for a lot of my childhood. You know, it wasn't until my late teenage years that I made the connection of dairy contribution to my asthma. So I stopped eating dairy products and within six months, I never had an inhaler again, was off all my medications, never went back to the hospital, all of that. So that was sort of my kickstart aha moment that I made the connection of food and health. A lot of people live to eat, they don't eat to live, right? So I didn't make that connection until my late teenage years. And so once I started making that connection, it really opened up this whole book of information and knowledge around the connection that food has on your health and your daily well-being. Then I started to look into vegetarian and what vegan meant, what did plant-based meant at the time as just vegan vegetarian and really, um, you know, the animal welfare piece. So that's, I dove into and it fed my passion for what I do and never turned back. So that's how I got into the plant-based side. So restaurants I grew up in. So by default, it's pretty much been my only job of being in the food space. The food space, quote unquote, is, uh, is spanned from everything from CPG, restaurants, education, all of that. Okay. What you said is very similar to what I myself have found and other people find, Chad, which is it's usually something that's not working well with their health that might trigger them to make these changes. And it was interesting in your case that dairy seemed to be the culprit. We may come back to that a little bit later on. One of the other things that I think is interesting about what you're doing is you're a chef and you have restaurants and we'll get into some of the consumer packaged goods. You mentioned CPG for those who aren't aware of that acronym, but you're also very interested in education. Could you speak a little bit more about that, Chad? Yeah, the education piece is critical. Um, so as soon as I made that connection, you know, when you, when you learn something, it's just like any kind of aha moment, you look behind the curtain and then you can't not see what's behind the curtain when it comes to knowledge. Knowledge is power, right? Especially when it came to my health. So um, I could not not see it anymore, right? That connection. So I, I really, you know, I, I dug my heels in and I really dove deep into absorbing as much knowledge and experience I can around um, that connection. And it later found me, um, you know, traveling globally, opening restaurants, and really just naturally just sharing with people which led to education and so i wanted to share with anybody who would listen uh, whether it was in a kitchen whether it was friends or family and i got old very quick to them for me sharing um i learned not to stand on my soapbox and, yes. and preach to family they certainly don't listen but i wanted to teach i wanted to share this knowledge i felt like i you know i had been to so many doctors growing up and nobody made that connection of dairy product consumption with asthma. I went to dozens of doctors, dozens of hospitals, like dozens of specialists. No, not one single person said anything about dairy. And, and it kind of pissed me off, you know, it kind of yeah. got me really angry because it, and, and so that anger and that being young and being passionate and, you know, that was my, that was my inspiration. That's what fed my inspiration to learn more, to do more and to teach more, you know? And so that was really seeded my, my journey for the years to come. So I wanted to teach anybody who would listen. It later led to me teaching classes. I traveled around the U.S. for a couple of years, zigzagging across the U.S. I made my own, you know, little cookbooks that I had. And, and it was all around the connection of health and food. And it was vegan and raw foods. And I, I basically set up my own schedule. This is pre-internet. That totally dates me, but pre-internet. And, sure. 
you know, and um, right when it was starting to come about. And so I would set up these sort of mini education tours. I would teach and teach at community centers and wild oats when it still existed and, you know, yeah. whole foods and all of these, all of these uh, places that I would teach at different festivals, and health and food festivals. And I would just set up the schedule on my own, very entrepreneur focused as, a, as when I was young. And I would just zigzag around the country, sell products. I would buy products wholesale everything from knives to zesters to t-shirts I had printed to, you know, just yeah. kind of starting my own thing. Exactly. And so I was, uh, so I was doing that for years. And then, um, then I, I joined a culinary school that was already existing around vegan and raw foods at the time. And we would travel to different conference centers and it was bigger classes. It was more in-depth training and the, uh, you know, putting the curriculum together and all that. And then, so I started teaching, I started doing a lot of personal chef work. So I would go into people's homes, and, you know, not only set them up for success when I left their fridge and freezer and pantry was stocked with items, but also I would do these personal trainings. So I would do personal trainings based on their dietary preference. I would have this uh, questionnaire I would send them first. They would lay it all out of what their needs were. And I'd come and stay in a local hotel and work with them three to five days in their own kitchen. And, and I did these personal chef trainings, which was personal culinary trainings, which was a lot of fun. I did that for years traveling around and, uh, and then, um, and then when I had restaurants, I had restaurants over in Europe and I don't have them anymore, but I had them over in Europe okay. again, all focused on plant-based. But then as soon as I left the restaurants, I, I joined Whole Foods Market. I was poached by the leadership of Whole Foods and by John Mackey at the time. And, and basically it was to create an education program for a new core value that they were launching around healthy eating education. So it was called the Health Starts Here program. I helped John and the leadership team really formulate that, what it looked like. And so I was tasked with, um, you know, creating curriculum for the stores, the in-store educators to teach to the public. At that time, my brother came on board who would join the team. And he's also a chef. He joined the team to translate these, this education to uh, internally to the to kitchens. Okay. So we did a lot of trainings with the kitchens. He ended up taking all that over and working with the prepared food side. And I started working with the culinary education and health eating specialist side of things um, with that. Fast forward a couple of years after that, I joined an online culinary school called Ruby, R-O-U-X-B-E, like a Ru, ruby.com, and ended up launching their plant-based professional course. So it's 200-hour plant-based professional certification program, culinary certification program. But, you know, going back to that quick question, not to kind of lengthen my long answer here. <laughs> um, uh, sure, basically, uh, I forgot the question, but go ahead. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, you said education being an important piece. Yes, and, and yes. And the only way you can get in the driver's seat of your own health is understanding how to cook. You can buy packaged goods all day and you can follow diets all day. But if you're following a recipe, if you don't understand the foundational cooking methods, it's hard to, it's not sustainable, you know, and, and everybody translates a recipe differently. Culinary knowledge puts you in the driver's seat of your own health. And so when you understand the basics of cooking, you can then can take control of your meals. And so I think culinary education is imperative for long lasting change in one's diet. I think that's a wonderful point that you just made. And I also want to say, my goodness, you've been coaching individuals one-on-one. -on -one. You've been preparing programs for staff. You've been educating the public at large. Boy, are you an educator. Yeah, thank you. It's been, um, yeah, I, I love it because, I mean, once you see people take their take their own health in their hands, once they have that power of understanding basic cooking methods, Jeff, if you look at a recipe and you hand that recipe to 10 different people, those 10 different people are going to 
prepare that recipe and translate it totally differently because everybody has a perception. If you're not trained, people have a perception of what saute means, right? What, what does roast mean? What does bake mean? What are the, what are the signs and indications of that being a complete task? You know what I mean? So those little, what does boil mean? What does blanch mean? What does poach mean? What is, you know, dry fry, like all these cooking methods that cookbook writers totally take advantage of and assume the public knows what the heck they're talking about. Yes. But really all in all, I mean, they'll say, you know, cook beans, cook rice with the no instructions on how to do that. Just the basics yes. people don't know how to do, you know? So, so once you actually understand those basics, then you can look at any recipe as a formula, you know, and it's not, you don't have to stick with it, you know, and you can swap in and out different cooking methods when they call for saute, maybe you can roast it when they call for roasting, maybe you can bake it or steam it or, you know, obviously different results, but you can interchange. Um, and then it's yours. And then your meals are in your hands, you know? Just a quick follow-up question. You said you grew up in a family where they had food businesses or restaurants or whatever. Can I assume that since that was probably several years ago, they were probably not cooking a lot of plant-based foods? No, 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 they certainly weren't. I mean, I my brother, who's my business partner, he's six years my elder, and he, uh, you know, he was he had restaurants growing up, and so I was in and out of helping him out. He was obviously in the kitchens and I was just helping out but our mom and grandmother just incredible home cooks so we didn't have restaurants as a family but in- incredible cooks and so talk about feasts I mean we had a big Italian family and our grandma would just make a massive feast around the holidays and special occasions and our mom took you know Chinese and Cantonese cooking classes and so combine that with the love of Italian food and then you know getting into the spice and the really authentic Cantonese and Chinese dishes, it, it really, I would say it really, um, you know, shaped the way that I cook. And I have to tell you, I love Italian cooking so much. I was <laughs> married to an Italian and both of her parents who are still alive, phenomenal cooks. Her grandmother was a phenomenal cook. Italian food is a great challenge for my type 2 diabetes, but I do love Italian foods. My favorite. If I could eat any cuisine, it would be Italian without a doubt. We're talking today about plant-based eating. I think just going back to what you said, Chad, about recipes, many people have different ideas about what plant-based eating means or healthy plant-based eating more specifically. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by it? What is your definition of healthy plant-based eating? Plant-based is vegan, in my opinion. It's just a nicer way to call vegan. Vegan is a lifestyle. So vegan scares a lot of people off when you talk about vegan because they think of lifestyle, they think of activism, they think of PETA, all of that, right? They think of animal rights, they think of, you know, being guilt-tripped into eating something, like that kind of thing. That's what vegan is to a lot of people. Vegan is certainly a lifestyle because it's it's not just diet. It's a lot of the way you carry yourself, and, you know, things, other things that you buy outside of food. And it's about compassion. Plant-based is the same thing in my opinion but it's just a it's a more pc way of talking about specifically around the food now the industry especially large corporations that are just trying to make a buck off this um you know no longer a trend just a way of you know thinking and eating they're translating plant-based to be plant mostly which is not plant-based people translate that plant-based to be you know, because you look at you look at products on the market, and there's a lot of I'm not going to name any big companies, but there's a lot of number of big companies that are just jumping on the bandwagon because they're looking at it as a as a trend. So they don't have 
anybody who's passionate about it on staff. They don't have anybody that has really, you know, grown with this sort of lifestyle over the years to really push what it actually means. And so they're thrown plant-based as a label on products and, you know, which is completely deceiving because then you turn the package around, it still has eggs, it still has whey and things like that. So it's not vegan, you know, so it's a, con- it's a very confusing message. But you can also be vegan and drink Coca-Cola, eat Mars bars and chips. You know what I mean? Plant-based, I think a good way to define that also is a healthier vegan. And it's plant-based being the plant. Plants are the base of your diet. They're plant-centric meals. One thing with Wicked Healthy, uh, one of my companies, which I'm sure we're going to do, one of our core messages is we're plant pushers, not meat shamers. It's about joy, not shame at the end of the day. And that's what food is all about. It's It's a way to celebrate food celebrate life and celebrate um you know family and friends and who you want to share a meal with and at the end of the day food is joyful it's a joyful thing when i was doing personal trainings with people i would have clients that would get so down on themselves because they stopped being vegan for a day or they jumped off the wagon for a bit you know and they were into it because their health and they would get so down on themselves yeah and it's you know what just pick it back up it's just like anything pick it back up and keep going you know what i mean you might feel like crap the next day, but you know what? Pick it back up. It's always, it's just like anything. It's just like any kind of addiction. You relapse, you jump back on the, with the tools that you have. And it's the same thing with food. Well spoken. Looking Forward focuses on trends and the future and opportunities thereof. But what we first like to do, Chad, is we like to look a little bit backwards. So let's take a look at plant-based eating and have you talk about the last couple of decades or so, how has it evolved? I, for example, can recall, I'm not going to name names either of brands. There has been a brand, it was called Imitation Seafood, right? So I know that that's been out there for quite a while. That's part of the evolutionary process. What's been happening in that world in terms of people's interest in it, what people are consuming, the products offered, how has it been evolving, Chad? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question, because if you look back, even when I started digging into plant-based with those early asthma days that I mentioned when I stopped eating dairy products and all that, I was having to navigate a new diet, essentially, on my own. And at the time, there was soy milk and maybe rice milk on the shelf, you know, in the little health food store that was close to me that smelled like a bulk grain bin, essentially, when you walked in. So um, things have evolved quite a bit over the years. It's just by seeing the growing trends over the past 20 years, I would say, there's been so many different levers of what drives people to eat more plants. And the environment has been a huge one. You know, the environmental impact of the of animal agriculture is massive. And there's more and more documentaries since social media, since the launch of Netflix, like, you know, the, the accessibility of information is out there. These issues were always there, you know, but there was been, there's never been a way to voice them and never been a way for people to, to gather information no matter where you were in the world, right? And so now with Netflix and YouTube and the internet, I mean, granted, a majority of what people read on the internet is not correct if right. it's not from a respectable source, but it's a way that we have all this information at our fingertips and those activists that have been fighting for many, many years around environmental activism, animal rights, all of that now have their own platforms. And so they've been able to, you know, really, really when it comes to creating documentaries and all that kind of stuff. So there's been a lot of information out there. Environmental impact is another one. Another one is the growing connection within 
the health medical community, nutrition community, the growing connection between processed meats and cancer, for example. I mean, the, the World Health Organization came out and talked about that years ago. And there was huge pushback, obviously, from, from animal ag. These things start with trends. I mean, they start with these trailblazers, these activists on a small level on their soapbox and pushing and working real hard. You know it's become more than a trend when the largest companies that are selling the products that you're opposing to and fighting up against are now on board. So for myself, you know, I've been an animal activist for many, many years and just doing it through food now and through just culinary education. But, you know, the Hormels, the Tysons, the Maple Leafs, the largest animal agriculture companies globally are now investing in plant-based protein because they see that's where the consumer is going. And they also see that it is not sustainable uh, with our growing population globally to for animal agriculture. So I'm not saying we're going to stop eating meat as a culture, as a race, like it's never going to happen. Uh, it would be great if it did. I do see though, it grows and evolves far more than a trend when you get these large companies who are part of the problem now working to be part of that solution, even if it is for their bottom line, right? So when we started Good Catch, one of our early investors in our Series A was a company called PHW, which is out of Germany. They're the largest poultry producer out of Germany. Our Series B raise, we got Maple Leaf Foods, which is the largest pork producers, the largest pig farmers out of Canada. They export the majority of the pork over to Japan. They have a subsidiary called Greenleaf, which now has invested in acquisition of different plant-based brands, such as Light Life and Field Roast. So they came into our Series B. When we launched our, our plant-based tuna, we did it to catch the, the attention of the industry. And within a year of being on shelf, we partnered up with Bumblebee as their distribution partner. Bumblebee is one of the largest tuna companies in the U.S., um, oldest legacy brands, right? 100 years old. So when you see these large companies, animal agriculture-focused companies, shifting their focus, I was sitting in a meeting with the CEO of Maple Leaf Foods, and he fully said, he's like, we are not a pork company. We're not a meat company. We are a protein company. And that shifted that just by him saying that shifts the culture and sort of the direction of where that company is going, right? Because they're listening to consumers. They're watching the science when it comes to environmental impact of animal ag. So they have to lead. And so these guys coming in, producing their own products and heavily investing in that space is testament. Yes, it's become what John Nesbitt called many years ago a mega trend. And I will add to this when you talked about Netflix, Chad. I certainly have heard a lot about plant-based eating for several years now. And it's sort of a process where it might take a little bit more time and hearing a little bit more where it starts to get into your system. Like, maybe I ought to take this stuff more seriously. Most recently... I saw a movie on Netflix, which I'm sure you've heard of, called Game Changers. That really blew my mind. We catered all the premieres for those. So we're very close with the, the producers there. And we catered the premieres in New York and L.A. for that film. That's amazing. Chad, can you talk a little bit about some of the differences in how this plant-based eating megatrend has evolved elsewhere versus the United States? Are we operating at a slower pace than they have been? Are we at a faster pace? Are we both moving along in tandem as this evolves? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I think it's been a global concern. Obviously, environmental impact has been a global concern. I would say that we, you know, there are certain things that have come out of the U.S., certainly that in terms of trends that we have led. But the United States is massive, as we know. And I would say Europe has been leading plant-based, without a doubt. Wow. Um, Europe and and. You know, if you look at 
the launch of, and this was only probably the past 10 years. I mean, if you look at the launch of Wicked Kitchen, we launched 20 products within Tesco, which is the largest retailer in the UK. Okay. Well, one of the largest in Europe, I would say. That was before they launched 20 ready to eat, grab and go vegan items. They had two on the shelf. They had a fruit cup and they had a hummus wrap. Okay. And no other retailer really had any plant-based option. Tesco put their stake in the ground. They launched 20 products. The next big retailer, Sainsbury's, went out and launched 10 or 12 or whatever. And then M&S launched 10. And then, and then it started this ripple effect. And so I would say that Wicked Kitchen was one of the big leaders in, in that growing trend in, in the UK in particular. But if you look at innovation, innovation comes from, you know, again, having that social media platform. I mean, somebody could be making something. They could have $100,000 investment into R&D and innovation, and they can they can make themselves look very large based on social media, right? right? So the innovation hub really in Europe has been around Germany, Netherlands. There's been a ton of product around plant-based that have come out of those countries over the years. And they may be small, but they're, they're innovators. You know, they have money behind them. They've got consumers are watching on social media and more and more retailers are picking them up. That's Europe alone with our distribution with Good Catch. So Good Catch, we are in the US, we're in Canada. We are all over Europe. I believe we are in South Africa. If not, we're on our way to South Africa, um, which is which is very cool. We just launched in Singapore, uh, open up the, the Asian market. With Wicked, we're in the US, we're in, in Europe. In the UK, we're moving over to Finland. Then we're looking at bringing our ice cream line, seven different ice creams um, and novelty products that we're gonna be launching in Australia. So it's really a global footprint. There's a global demand for more plant-based. But it's, it's growing. And, and I would say, you know, there's certainly a lot of opportunity in the U.S. The U.S. is, uh, I would say, in terms of fast food options. I mean, seeing these QSRs, these quick service restaurants, you know, jumping on board to plant-based. I mean, everything from Carl's Jr. to Burger King offering an Impossible Whopper to McDonald's launching the McPlant Burger. Are they all doing it right? We could poke holes at it, but they sure are trying. They're seeing that the consumer is looking. KFC and Canada now has vegan chicken as an option. And it's, it's, uh, you know, I mean, who would have thought it's a growing need and it's not going anywhere. And I would say on a global level, it is the awareness, the global awareness and the footprint that plant-based is having. We're all facing the same issues around obesity and environmental crisis. And it's not just, I mean, we might be fatter in the U S but it's a global issue. It shows how pervasive this is. And what really got to me, it was fascinating to hear about all these different countries. But when you start talking about McDonald's and Burger King and those kinds of establishments now doing this, yes, it's really getting mainstream, isn't it? Just like you talked about the manufacturers like Tyson. Yeah. We just did a test with Long John Silver's. They added our plant-based fish to the menu. And they have 700 plus locations in the U.S. It's a fast food, seafood restaurant. You know, it's the first options that they have. So. So yeah, it's growing. It's not no longer a trend. It's here to stay. It's just a matter of how quickly it's going to get there. You mentioned Long John Silver's. I loved, there's a D at the end of that, Chad. <laughs> I loved their hush puppies, but my pancreas doesn't love them. Okay? I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> okay. I'm sure. Chad, you've been mentioning your own companies, and I think this is a good time if you could just briefly share with our listeners a little bit about the two companies that you're most directly involved with, which are Wicked Kitchen and Good Catch. Tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, correct. 
one of the drivers for my career and also can speak for my brother here is, is we jump on projects that have an impact opportunity. And so we want to be able to make an impact with any projects and any work that we put forward. So we looked at both of the, we looked at the food space and how can we disrupt it with some products, some CPG, some consumer packaged goods, right? So one of them is, you know, growing up in New England, we knew growing up with mostly seafood, not a lot of meat. We grew up with mostly seafood and over the years, learning how destructive commercial fisheries are to our oceans and to the life in the oceans, we knew that there needed to be more alternatives out there. So I've been in the plant-based space for a number of years, and so know all the founders of all the larger plant-based meat companies that are out there. And so the biggest missing gap, I feel, we felt was um, an alternative to seafood. So a plant protein that was focused on seafood, what we're used to. Um, and so we looked at the impact opportunity. We got some investment, raised some money, and really set out to develop a product that would have the greatest impact, which was fin fish. Fin fish being tuna, salmon being the most widely consumed globally. We set out on the journey to create those products out of the gate from a retail perspective made out of legumes. It's a process called extrusion, similar taste, texture, all of that. To seafood. Mm. So that is Good catch. We uh, fast forward five years now. We have our manufacturing facility. We've raised a bunch of money. We're on three continents, 6,500 stores, and uh, we have nine products on market right now. Excellent. So that's that's good catch. Uh, Wicked Kitchen, we got approached around the same time uh, by Tesco, which is the, one of the largest retailers globally. They're out of the UK. They approached um, my brother, Derek who's my business partner around Wicked Healthy. Wicked Healthy was our brand, our cookbook, our, we did consultancy, we, you know, would do catering, all of that. And just a cool rad brand that leads with flavor. Again, all plant-based recipes and videos and all that. So we had quite a social following with our book out and all that. Tesco approached us and asked if we would launch a product line with them in store. So they would license our brand to do that. And so my brother moved over there. I focused on Good Catch, the development of Good Catch. My brother moved over there to the UK and joined Tesco to launch the uh, the Wicked Kitchen line. And we launched 20 products out of the gate, ready to eat, grab and go items, whether it's sandwiches, meals, wraps, all of that, which was huge for a retailer over there. Um, within six months, all the surrounding retailers were launching 10, 15 products. And by that time, we had doubled the line to 40, 45 products. Wow. Um, again, fast forward four years, four and a half years. And now we have 140 products in the store under our label, all plant-based and 22 categories within the store. And so we took that success and we launched a global brand called Wicked Kitchen. And we just launched in the US, nationally in Kroger and in Sprouts. We launched 26 products nationally in 2,500 stores this past July. So that is growing at an enormous fast rate. And we're building off of all the success around Tesco and same thing with Good Catch. We're uh, just going well. That sounds great. I really like the idea of making fish type <laughs> products from legumes. It's totally bizarre. I mean, innovation yeah. is where we really focus on. We have a whole innovation food science team. It's really the intersection just between food science and culinary is where it is. It's keeping the consumer experience with the same sort of uh, use that people are used to cooking, using a tuna or cooking fish or, you know, things like cooking crab and things like that, and then just making it in the plant-based form. Yeah, it's very interesting how we do it. This concludes part one of our two-part series on plant-based foods and eating trends, opportunities, and the future with our guest expert, Chad Sarno. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Chad or me, please contact me at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com. And if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate your liking it 
or giving it a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.